Well, good morning. It's good to look out and see each of you here today. What a wonderful time of worship. And uh, today we were without drums. And that's kind of an odd thing for this church. We either have a, what do they call that, Scott? Cajon. Or we have a, a full drum set. And today both guys are out. Uh, but interestingly, Bruce, or not Bruce, uh, Bob came up to me before service and he said, Pastor Greg, we have a problem. We don't have drums today. And we heard that you played drums. <laughs> well, I played drums through middle and high school, okay? And then I stopped. I said, you have a problem, but you would really have a problem <laughs> if you put me on a drum set. <laughs> so so uh, I thought it was wonderful. I, you know what I love about Bureau Bible Fellowship, and it's not the only church, there's many churches that I think take the same track, and that is that we don't place emphasis on contextualization. That doesn't mean that there's not a place for contextualization, and it can't be a significant part of what we experience. But, but we're in a room, it's a cafeteria that we turn into a chapel-teria, and we don't have the lights, we don't have the smoke and all those things. Uh, we're just here in a raw sense with pure hearts to worship God. And honestly, if all of our musicians were out, we would still worship the Lord. We would still have church. Amen? Now, I'm not asking for that, uh, those of you on the worship team, but uh, no, it's just, it's good to be in a place where the focus is on the Lord and not on the contextualization. And so thank you for uh, really trying to seek God. Uh, I ministered Friday morning. I do every Friday morning over at Women's Refuge. I do a Bible teaching, and we're working through Ephesians. And we were discussing the importance of not being, not being led by movement. Um, have you ever had someone come to you and say, um, well, I just don't think that God's moving in that church? And if you think about and ask them, what does that mean? What do you mean God's not moving? You'll get a whole assortment of answers. But the reality is it's almost an indictment because it means that the knowledge of God isn't enough to worship him. And it's not that emotions are turned off. We shouldn't be that way. We should be emotional. But the emotion follows. It's fueled by what we know about God, right? And, and that's, that's very important. So therefore, we're not waiting for a move, an external expression of some type, something we can hear, feel, whatever. We start with what we know. And from that, true worship begins to break out. And true worship will induce emotional response in some degree, right? So... It was just really a wonderful time Friday morning, and I, 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 I see it here, and that excites me. Well, today we, we pick up at chapter 9, and I'm going to take us back a little ways to verse 10. We should be finishing up 9. I'm not even sure we're going to make it through chapter 9. I think this is the third week in chapter 9, and, uh, but that's okay. You know, we, if you're new, we do verse by verse, and so we're going to do that. Before we do, though, I want to communicate a couple things to you. First, uh, we will take time, we are, we are not ignoring or forgetting about what our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing in the Ukraine right now. We will take time to pray, okay? Um, and secondly, um, it's just wonderful today to have Ken and Annette Long visiting with us. Ken and Annette, uh, they're right there, they're sitting over here. 
They're not wanting to stand. And if I were visiting in, in, in a church that you pastored, I wouldn't want to stand either. So I'm going to be respectful and not have them stand. But some of you know them. Uh, he pastored at First Church of God before I did. And so you have relationship that goes way back. Make sure you say hi before you leave today. I'm sure they would appreciate that. I think they leave town tomorrow. You've been here, what, two or three weeks? A couple? And uh, went fishing. He went fishing this week, caught a boatload of fish, had a big fish fry last night. So I'd say that's a successful Florida trip right there. That's good. And that, I'm not sure that, that that really floats your boat, but... Uh, I hope you've had some good relationship times with some people that you love. All right, well, let's get into the Word. Let me just tell you right up front where we're going today and why we're spending time further in chapter 9 and why we're going back to verse 10. First of all, after Saul's conversion, he immediately experienced three types of ministry. Three types of ministry. The ministry of the body of Christ, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the ministry to lost people, the ministry to the unsaved, three types of ministry. We see all three right here in the text. Let's take a look if we can. First, we're going to study the ministry of the body of Christ. Acts 9, verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, at the, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul for being... For behold, he is praying. That had to be a shock for him to think about Saul, the persecutor, praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So, obviously, you can see from the text, Ananias is troubled by the request of the Lord, and he questions the validity of the request based upon Saul's past reputation. Notice what he does. He explains his view of Saul to the Lord. Lord, I have it on good authority that this man has done much harm, much evil to your saints at Jerusalem. I, I, I'm not sure you were aware of that. As if the Lord doesn't have the whole picture on Saul's character and his practices. So Ananias is bringing God up to speed on his personal intel. Now, before we move from this little point, I think it's important that we internalize it. And some of us can internalize it. All of us can certainly learn from it. So interestingly, uh, you have Ananias who is going to correct God or help God with information. Have you ever done that with God? Lord, here's what's happening in this situation, so this is why I'm asking you to do this. Because obviously God can't figure it out on his own, and while he is sovereign and knows everything from the beginning, he's, that's a lot to remember. He's probably missing a few things, so let me give him the details. Here's one for a guy who might say, Lord, I would think that the reasons are obvious why I need this new 3.5-ton Ram 1500 TRX truck with a 702-horsepower Hellcat engine. You do know, Lord, that it goes from 0 to 60 in 3.7 seconds. As if the Lord's going to really go, wow, I had no, no, no clue. That's powerful. 
We tend to talk with God from the angle of how it affects us in our prayers. It's not so much about submitting to the will of the Lord as much as it is coming into prayer with our grocery list. And we're going to help God get there. We're going to corner him and make him see what we don't think he's seeing so that he can then move. That is the opposite of submitting to the will of the Lord. That's the opposite of walking in the Spirit. That is what you call walking in the flesh. Ananias' first response was simply to, to say to the Lord, but this guy is a problem. Ananias didn't want to be hauled off to prison by Saul, so he tried to set God straight on a few things. He just let the cat out of the bag. In verse 14, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. This is my life we're talking about, Lord. This has a direct impact on my health and my future, you having me go to this guy. I've got to tell you, I'm in a dilemma right now. I have a dilemma I was sharing with Rini this morning. Tomorrow night, the school board is going to have a meeting, and that's just next door to us. And they are actually considering bringing material into our county that teaches CRT in an indirect way. It also opens the door wide for teaching children about different, I'm going to be careful how I say it in the room, but uh, unnatural sexual experiences. They're considering that. And I'm like, I need to speak. But wait a minute, you're going to be speaking to the people who you're renting facility from for church every week. But the Lord will handle that. That's his business. We, we could be pushed out, you know, on Tuesday and know that we don't have a place on Sunday. The Lord has a plan. He just does. I'm not trying to stir up trouble. I'm not trying to bring trouble on us. But I cannot, and you cannot, we should not, be somehow cease to be who God has called us to be. Salt and light. Exposing evil and recognizing truth, discerning truth, and giving God praise for truth. And so I just think that Ananias is thinking about himself. But, but interestingly, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, listen how the Lord responds to Ananias' concerns. Go! He doesn't start with the explanation of why I said what I said and why you just need to do it. He just said, go. This is how the Lord works with us. You're in a situation where life's going well, and all of a sudden, one of your family members comes down with a diagnosis of cancer. What are you going to do? Are you going to wail and flail and try to somehow, you know, lean into the sympathy and lean into the pain and the sorrow and start singing a song about woe is me? Or are you going to turn to the Lord who created you and go by faith into whatever he allows to happen? To be a faithful believer is to recognize Scripture, to know the Word. The Word says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the, the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
Deliverance of the Lord can come in one of two ways, either a physical deliverance or a spiritual deliverance where you end up in heaven. Either way, you don't lose with the Lord. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. No amens. This is the truth. We put our hands in the Lord. Ananias had to put his hands in the Lord and say, Lord, you have this. Whatever you choose, I'll go with it. And so, interestingly, he says, go for he, speaking of Saul. This is a weird way to think of Saul. If you came from a background knowing him as a persecutor, uh, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Somehow in prosperity preaching, that verse never seems to show up. For I must show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Following the Lord will bring persecution. Peter made that really clear. You cannot be a Christian if you're not facing persecution. Because if you're a Christian and you're not facing any persecution, you're, you're, you're the fish that swims with the current. You're not fighting against the current. There's only one type of fish that swims with the current. A dead fish. Your faith is dead. If you're a, a believer in Jesus Christ, you stand for the things that Christ spoke. You, you line up with the word of God and you live your life that way. And it will bring trial and trouble and persecution into your life. But you continue. Even when I was facing great persecution at one point and a dear friend of mine, uh, I reached out to him. And I think I was looking for some sympathy because I was in the newspaper on a daily basis. And it was not positive. And I was reaching out saying, hey, I don't know if you've been reading the paper. He's like, praise God. You're blessed, Greg. Blessed is the one who's persecuted for me. It's what Jesus said in the, in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount. We, we have to get out of ourselves. We've got to move beyond ourselves and begin to see that our purpose for existence is to bring glory to God. Not glory to ourselves. This is why we exist. The greatest legacy you can lay for your children and grandchildren is that you stood firm in the Lord. You're looking at people in the Ukraine right now, believers, standing firm in the Lord. What a witness for Christians around the world to see that, to hear that, to, to know that that's happening right now in the Ukraine. Verse 17, so Ananias departed. He didn't, there was no more rebuttal. And laying his hands on him, he laid his hands on Saul. Look what he says to him. Brother Saul. Wow. Saul the persecutor. Now, brother Saul. By the way, later Paul would write a letter to a church and he would say in the letter, the ungodly, the the, the murderer, the, the, the thief, the gossip, the homosexual, the effeminate. He goes down a long list. He says, they will not inherit heaven. And such were, not are, were some of you. 
and such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been sanctified by our God. You're not the same person that you used to be. Immediately, Ananias gets on board with what God is saying. He knows that God's purposes and God's plans will prevail over man's. It didn't matter what Paul's, Saul's purpose was prior to his conversion. Now God's purpose is prevailing over Saul. And he goes and he says, Brother Saul. I love that. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the ministry of the body of Christ. This is the ministry of the church. It's wonderful to know that when God came to Ananias, he didn't just go, oh, okay, I'll do it. It's good for us to know that. Why? Because we wouldn't either. The Bible's real. It doesn't just put on a fake presentation. This is how he responded, like you and I, hesitating, but, 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 and then obeying, surrendering, and going forth, and treating a persecutor who has been changed by Christ the same way that Ananias had been changed by Christ, and calling him brother. This is the work of the body. This is the work of the church, that we stop seeing people the old way. When they walk through the door, we treat them as if they're already saved. Now, I'm not saying that if somebody who has not received Christ, that we call them brother or sister. We should not. They're not yet. Okay, we're not going to be a church of tares, you know, tear evangelism, calling lost people saved. They're not saved. But we love them where they are. We love them where they are. We're glad they're here. Where's the amens? True? This is what it's about. Only God can do the changing, right? Jesus never cleaned the fish before he caught it. God changes. And when God changes, now all of a sudden the work of God begins in sanctification. And you and I should be embracing and loving and, 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 and coming on board with God's plan, not our plans. God's thoughts, not our thoughts. This is the power of the gospel. This is what the gospel is. This is why churches should be the most welcoming place for lost people. We don't treat them like they're saved in, terms, in the sense that give them the, the false sense of security. But we treat them as human beings created in the image of God. And we love them. 2 Corinthians 5.16. Write that down. Just write it down. We won't be here long. I'm going to hit quite a bit of scripture in the next few minutes. 2 Corinthians 5.16, from now on, is 16 through 21 if you want the entire text. From now on, Paul said, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. No one. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Paul is actually making a self-disclosure uh, here. He's saying, I used to think Jesus was just another man like anybody else. But we regard him thus no more. I don't think of him that way any longer. He is Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You don't take Christians who've been saved, who have a terrible past. You don't hold them suspect. You love them where they are. You celebrate that God has saved them. You receive them as brother and sister. This is the ministry of the church. 
that when someone is saved, you say, well, I'm not sure if it's real. Well, time will tell because the, 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 the fruit of salvation is you're going to see a change in character, right? You're going to see the good works flowing out of them. That's why we were saved. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared uh, for us ahead of time, right? So, so that's going to happen. But, 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 but in the moment, we don't let those thoughts carry us. That's a fleshly thought. We are, come on board with God. God saved them. Let's believe that. Let's walk in that. Let's treat them as a saved brother and sister. Very important. Paul went on and said, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The church has the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what it means. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us that ministry, that message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. God making his appeal through us. We, are, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul describes his role and the role of all believers, that we are messengers representing the king of heaven with the gospel who pleads with the people of the world to be reconciled to God. And when they are saved, we receive them as saved and we love them the way God loves them because he is the rightful king and we are his subjects. This is not a idea here. This is not a concept that the church ought to adopt. This is what the true church does. A true church practices this because the Spirit of God is inside of us. And this is what he leads us to. We no longer regard people as according to the flesh. Verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise the Lord for that. So go back to our text in chapter 9 of Acts, verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. Saul was baptized into the body of Christ. He's baptized. The body is now identifying, giving testimony, this man is a believer. Because, because Saul is actually going to, in baptism, water baptism by immersion, He's going to represent, he's going to show a picture of what happened when he was converted. That the old Saul, the persecutor, was lowered under the water, enveloped, totally gone. He's dead. And what came out of the water by the Holy Spirit, regeneration, was a new man. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. This is what happened to Paul, the ministry of the body. The purpose of the church is to witness God's salvation in a person's life and to receive them into his body. This is what it means to be baptized into the body of Christ. Verse 19, in taking food, he was strengthened. No one can feed the soul like the spirit of the living God. And no one can feed the physical belly like Vero Bible Fellowship at the pie auction. Amen. And by the way, Steve, where are you? That barbecue was phenomenal. Wow, he and Jessica did a great job. Steve Folds. Wow, what a blessing. He, he orchestrated that. He made that happen for us, and we're thankful to the Lord. 
Let's move to the second point, and we'll move, the next two are shorter, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's the ministry of the body of Christ to Saul, who's a new convert. Now we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who who called upon his, this name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest in Jerusalem? Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength. This man who had a bad reputation, who nobody was going to give him quarter. They looked down upon him, and yet he increased in strength. How? By the Holy Spirit. When you stand for Christ, Christ stands with you. When you lay around and do nothing, when you say, I'm saved, I've got my ticket to heaven, and now I'm just going to relax and enjoy the ride, there's no reason for Christ to stand with you. It's the one who surrenders his life and says, Lord, you're calling me to serve others, to love others, to calling to go preach and proclaim the gospel. I'll do it. You say, yeah, but God hasn't called me to that. Really? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Every Christian is a martus, a willingness to be a martyr because you're a witness. Every Christian. Nobody's left out on that. Here Saul increased. Why? Because he was willing to go forward with what the Spirit of God was saying and doing in his life. And so he goes to the temple, and there he confounds the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, and that is an interesting phrase, when many days had passed, we'll come back to that in a moment, the Jews plotted to kill him. It was the Hellenists that wanted to do that. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening on the wall, lowering him in a basket. So when many days had passed, so we don't really, I think there's a lot of time that took place between Saul increasing in, in, in strength. He increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. And then many days had passed. I don't think we have any clue all of what was happening. By the way, when you read the Gospels, if you take all the Gospels and you read everything you can about Jesus on this earth, you still have only a fraction of all that he said and did. But what you have are the things that God wanted canonized, what God wanted recorded under the inspiration of the Spirit. But he did a lot more than what we know, right? Well, the Paul's the same. It's the same here. And so, so I want to take you for a minute and explain something important to you. This often gets left out of the story or the narrative when we're talking about Saul's early days as a believer. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, the scripture said. This doesn't come close to explaining the whole picture of what followed Saul's initial salvation and the recovery of sight and the ministry to the Jews at the synagogue. In the book of Galatians, if you want to turn, you can. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 20. Write it down at least, those of you who are Bible students. Paul emphasizes that he received the gospel from Jesus directly and not from the other apostles. So this strengthening was happening 
by Christ through the Spirit in Saul. We know it was not the teachings of the apostles to Saul. Now understand, Saul was a scholar in terms of his, his rabbinical background, in terms of his knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, he was scholarly. Okay? He studied under Gamaliel, who was the, one of the great scholars. Okay? I told you this before. One of the Jewish historians, this is not in the Bible, but one of the Jewish historians remembered, had uh, recorded Gamaliel actually said, I have one problem with Saul. You're thinking, what was that? He said, I can't get enough reading material to put in front of him. So this guy was a voracious reader. He had memorized uh, certainly the Pentateuch, possibly the entire Old Testament. Okay, so, so, but he still had not connected the dots to the mystery of Christ, that he is Messiah. And so the Spirit of God ministers to him. Look at Galatians 1, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I, I didn't learn it from man. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my age, of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. By the way, when you read that, do you get any sense that Saul saved himself? Let me go back. When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, Salvation never begins with you. It is totally the work of God. God set him apart from the mother's womb and called me by his grace. There was no reason other than God showed grace to a wretched man, a sinner named Saul. And it pleased, he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles. God turned the light on for me. So all those years when people were sharing about Jesus and I was like, oh, oh, you know, okay, yeah, right. Go hear a sermon at some church. You're with your friend. You know, you're going for his sake or her, her sake, place to go pick up a date, you know, and you're there and the preacher's preaching. And some of you are acting so, you're looking so pious right now. When you're a young person, come on, what are the reasons? So he's preaching, and you're not hearing any of it. Oh, you're listening, but you're not getting it. After church, your friend's with you, and we're going to go to lunch, and on the way to lunch, you're like, what the heck was he talking about? Why? Because God hasn't turned the light on yet. God turned the light on. And my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. So he's in Damascus, and he didn't go to Jerusalem right away. But I went into Arabia. Now, Arabia today would be south of Jerusalem. Arabia in that day went all the way up to the edge of Syria and what we modern-day Syria and Jordan. That whole eastern side was Arabia. So he went into the wilderness so that he might receive ministry. 
This is happening at some point. We don't know when because time had passed, the Scripture says. Saul left Damascus and he went east and he goes into the wilderness and there for several years the Lord ministers to him, grows him up. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. I was going to receive from the Lord himself. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Later, I returned to Damascus. So he left Damascus, went into Arabia, comes back to uh, Damascus. Then after three years in Damascus, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. So putting all the accounts together, Saul spent several days in Damascus in Acts 9, 20 through 22. From there, according to Galatians 1, 17, he, was, he left Damascus, went into Arabia, which may mean the surrounding desert country, okay? And now regarding Arabia, back in that day, it's different than today. So don't think he had to go all the way down south. He did not. And then he returns and begins his ministry to the people that God had called, to him, uh, called him to reach with the gospel. Who did he, God call him to reach with the gospel? Gentiles, kings, and the Jews. Did he leave anybody out? Gentiles, the whole pagan world. The Jews, God's chosen, holy, dearly loved, who had rejected the Messiah. And kings, royalty. Paul's going to cover the gamut by the end of his life, and he did. So at this point, how does the Holy Spirit minister to us? How do we take what the Lord did in Saul by giving him revelation? How does the Lord use us? How does the Holy Spirit minister to us? Well, in Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, speaking of Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, except when Stephen was stoned and Stephen sees into the heavens and he sees Jesus standing, not sitting next to the right hand of God because Stephen's taking great hits, persecution, and Jesus stood up. Love that. So how does Christ minister to us today? Well, what we learn in Hebrews is by his word. In the Old Testament, he spoke by revelation to the prophets, but now he speaks by his word as the Holy Spirit gives utterance. I want to take you on a quick journey. We're going to cover a lot of scripture, so you're not going to be able to turn to all of it. Just write down the references, okay? Here's how the Holy Spirit speaks today by, by the Word of God. John 14, we're going to cover verse 15 through 26. 14, 15 through 26. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. And I, as you keep my commandments, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This is twice now. You cannot grow in Christ. You cannot be strengthened by the Spirit if you're not spending time in the Word of God. We covered that last week. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus did not take credit for the word. The Father sent him, and he spoke what the Father gave him. In the Gospel of John, Jesus actually says, I never did anything of my own initiative, only what I received from my Father, John 10, 19. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will, here it is, here's his ministry, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Did you get in that anything that looked like the Holy Spirit giving you some kind of special revelation that the rest of the Christian world doesn't understand? Did you get out of that that somehow there's more truth than what the Bible holds? What you see is the Holy Spirit bearing witness to what you are studying and reading in the Scripture. That's his role, not to speak over the Scripture, not to add to the Scripture, but to bring out the revelation of the Word to you. This is ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. But you have to be in the Word for that ministry to begin happening. You want to be strengthened in the Lord for whatever you're facing in your life? You want to be in the Word of God. No excuse. Don't go complaining and bellyaching about the pains and the sorrows and the trials and all the bad things happening in your life when you're not in the Word of God. John 15, verse 1 through 5. John 15, the next chapter, 1 through 5. I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. By the word, you come to understand who you are as a believer, what it means. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is, he it is that, the, that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't handle the trials of this crazy world apart from understanding the truth of Scripture. That would be like a World War II pilot. Back then, the technology was not very advanced, and so the instrumentation in the cockpit was very simple. They had a gyroscope. What did the gyroscope serve to do? It, 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 it let them know when they were flying right side up and upside down. If they were in a heavy dogfight and there were clouds and, and they're in this clouds, you don't know if you're flying right side up or upside down unless you look at that gyroscope. The Word of God is your gyroscope. It keeps you on an even keel going through the storm. It gives you direction, so it navigates. It gives you insight. It reveals truth, and it provides protection. It brings you through. 
verse 7 in John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So if you are in the word and the spirit of God is speaking to you, no longer are you praying these biased prayers. Now your prayers are aligning with the will of the Father. And if that's the case, you can ask because whatever you're asking is of the Father. It's not of you any longer. We don't ask for silly things when we're in the Spirit. We ask for silly things when we're in the flesh. And by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, again, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the, my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, your, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Fullness of joy comes when we abide in Christ. How do we abide in Christ? By being in his word, letting the spirit of God teach and lead us. Verse 16 in chapter 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that everyone who asks the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you may love one another. Now we're going back to the first point of the body of Christ, the ministry of the body. It comes out of understanding the word, being blessed by the word of God, and now the love of God flows out of us into others. Go to John chapter 16. Let me give you this quickly, verse 7 through 15. John 16, Jesus still teaching. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, by the way, I don't like red-lettered Bibles, and I have one. I've got, a, this one's not, but I do have a red-letter Bible. Uh, I don't like them. Uh, look, this is not God speaking. This is not, okay, this is Greg, Greg's opinion. But here's why I don't like red-letter Bibles. Want to know why? Because it kind of gives the emphasis to only what Jesus said. And the reality is the entire Bible, every single verse is inspired by God. We should know all the Bible. So if you remove your red letter Bible, just go with a black letter Bible, you'll read all of it the same way. But if you read the red letter Bible, you come to the red letters, oh, I'm going to really pay attention to this. No, no, it's all important, right? Talk about a side road. Okay, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the ministry of the Spirit to the world. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When, this, verse 13, Acts 6, or John, John 16... When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So now, all of a sudden, you're living as a Christian Living out the word of God, which is the will of God. You're not just following Jesus only, okay, that kind of nonsense. You are letting the truth of God's word speak to you, and now you speak out of it. As the Spirit brings to your remembrance the things you need to know as you minister to others. This is the ministry of the Spirit to you. John 14, 16, going back, just let me say it to you. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, believer today, 
at Vero Bible Fellowship, you know him. For he dwells with you. Now that was for the disciples at that time, right? Jesus was walking with them. The Greek preposition para. He was walking with them. For he dwells with you. And future tense, after Jesus leaves, the Spirit comes, he will dwell in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. Every believer, by the way, no, there is no, when somebody says he is so anointed, that's nonsense. I'm not saying he's not anointed. He's no more anointed than you are. Back in the Old Testament, when the Spirit came upon someone, there was a special anointing. They had the anointing. You didn't have it. They had it. But in the New Testament, after Christ leaves, the Holy Spirit comes in us. You have anointing. There's no more of this special hierarchy of anointing. There's no bureaucratic sense to it. You have been called by God through the Holy Spirit to be ministers of the gospel to people in this world every single day. We ought to be saying to one another, man, what a great anointing on you. It's no longer about just the man standing behind a pulpit. Okay? So, so he says you, he, he will dwell with you and will be in you. The Greek preposition en. So he goes from Jesus walking with the disciples at one point to, to the era now that we live in where he lives in us through the Holy Spirit. You have that right now today. Right now. And then if you go to Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Another Greek preposition. Ippi. E-P-I. He will come upon you. And when he comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So now all of a sudden it goes from Jesus walking with the disciples to now in the era that we live in, he lives in us. What? Filling us up, strengthening us. When it says that Paul was strengthened, he grew in his strength. That's what it meant. And, and that's what it means for you. And then he comes upon you. He overflows you. So he's with you. He comes in you. He fills you up to overflow. And guess what the overflow is for? The Spirit coming upon you is not for you. It's for others. It overflows you and it hits everybody in your path. This is how the ministry goes from the ministry of the Spirit to the ministry to the unsaved. This is how it goes from the ministry of the Spirit to the ministry of believers. We flow in the Spirit as we minister to them. I love that. The last point, quickly, the ministry of the unsaved. The ministry of the unsaved. You cannot minister to others if you haven't first received ministry from the Lord. That's a basic principle that you need to understand, church. Let me say it again. You cannot minister to others if you yourself have not received ministry from the Lord. We don't minister to others out of ourselves. If you try to do that, you will burn out. Because you have limited fuel. And what you're giving them is not fresh. It's not of the Spirit. You want to minister out of what you've received, right? Isn't that what 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says? God, be blessed, uh, blessed be to uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that, why does God comfort me? So that I may be able to comfort others who are in any affliction with the comfort that I myself receive from God. Until God does a work in you, 
He cannot and will not do a work through you in a general sense. There are exceptions to that, but, but that's the generally how God works. He wants you to receive from the Spirit. He wants you to be in the Word. He wants you to grow. And now, as you, God brings you through a trial, through a problem, now all of a sudden you have a ministry to others who are facing that similar experience. How many of you have lost your plumbing in the last couple years? Raise a hand. Look at this. Okay, it's like a $10,000 job, okay? Jimmy, you know what I'm talking about because Jimmy fixes a lot of them. So, so now you had to get through that. You had to turn, now you didn't have to, but I hope you turned to the Lord and began to trust him and go through that trial of having like 10 holes knocked in your walls of your home so they can repair the pipes and put the pipes over the, in your ceiling, Okay. It takes, it takes faith, it takes trusting God, it takes patience. Those things are real. And so now when somebody has a pipe problem, you can identify with them. You can minister to them in a unique way. Others can't. I can't say to you, I know what you've gone through. Well, maybe a little bit we can. Because <laughs> we had a house where we came home from, just from having dinner. We pull up in the driveway, and there's water gushing out of our garage down the drive. I thought, oh, wow, we must have a problem with our, with our, with our washing machine or something. We open the door, and, and there's, it's a rainforest. It was a two-story home. Water just coming out of every orifice on the ceiling, flowing. Oh, my goodness. So we can relate. I can minister to you. <laughs> we actually had to live out of our home for how long? Was it three months, honey? Three months we lived out of our home while they repaired it. So I can identify with that, see? But, but I had to trust God through that process. Now, if I had just gone through it and out of my flesh tried to deal with it, getting angry, and uh, then I have no ministry for the person who faces the same thing. But if I've re- leaned into God and God has brought me through that, now I can minister to you. Which, on the other side of that coin, by the way, if you're having an affair and you call yourself a Christian, and you're having lunch with a Christian friend, and you've been very secretive about the affair, nobody knows except you, and you think you're pulling it off, and then your Christian friend says, I've got to tell you, I'm really feeling tempted at work by one of my associates. You have zero ministry with them. It's when you too are tempted, but you turn to Christ and he brought you through and delivered you from that temptation. Now you have a ministry. By the way, if you've had an affair and God delivered you from that, he showed you your error, that you were in sin and you repented and you came right, you have a ministry for those who are in adultery. Or somebody who's trying to return to God out of that kind of a menace, out of that kind of a sin. You can identify. So this is the point we're making. We only minister to people to the degree that God has ministered to us. And the only way that God can minister to us is if we open ourselves to it, right? We've gone a long way to say this, but I think it's very important. And back in our text, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Paul, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night, and they let him down 
through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, here's the ministry of the church again, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road to Damascus he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among the Jews who were saved in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord at the synagogues. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. In verse 30, and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. That's where he was born. So, so the, 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 again, the church is protecting Saul. And they sent him back to his hometown. So the church throughout all Judea, because the church is being the church and ministering and loving as the spirit inside of each of us is giving us ministry to one another. Listen, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied, the church multiplied. I love that passage. Walking in the fear of the Lord, not man, not fearing the Hellenists who are trying to kill Paul. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort that only the Holy Spirit can give us. The church multiplied. This is what our brothers and our sisters in the Ukraine are experiencing right now. I'm hearing about it from those who are in that region. This is real, okay? The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit is alive and well in the Ukraine right now with our Christian brothers and sisters. In spite of the fact that if Putin has his way with the, Ukraine, uh, with the Ukrainian people, there will be great persecution because he will drive out all religious freedom. Go on, on YouTube and type in church bells in Ukraine. And it'll take you to Kiev, and you will hear on a Sunday morning this glorious sound of bells all over the city. That's all you can hear. I mean, it's just like crazy, the number of bells going off. Did you know that in the Ukraine, in some regions, they use the church bells to declare to the people that imminent danger was ahead? The church had a ministry even as Putin was laying a plan. But I'm telling you, the church is going to make it through. Why? Because Psalm 33 says this. Listen, verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. Putin is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eyes of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, even in time of impending death surrounding us. Because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Can I give you a clip 
a short video that Brenton brought to our elders this week of a little church meeting in a home in the Ukraine in December, knowing that Putin had already amassed and was trying to, you know, make him, he'd already threatened several years back to restore the USSR and that Ukraine would be the first, you know, on the hit list. Checked it. This is in December. So let's play that clip if we can. He will hold me fast. The sad thing is because we're not under that kind of pressure and imminent danger, we don't think we need God to hold us fast. This is the ministry of the Ukraine church to us this morning. Press into the Lord. And our ministry back to them is prayer. We're going to pray. We're going to pray now for the people of, of Ukraine and all the cities and all the villages because if you have seen the, the map of where Russia has attacked, it's spotted all over the Ukraine. And yet they're standing firm. There's many things to learn out of that. The fact that the government is handing out weapons to the civilians. I'm glad I'm still in a country where we have the right to bear arms. Not only against foreign enemy, but domestic. I'm glad for that. And in the time of great need, Ukraine has learned that, the importance of it. We should pray for them, that God would see them through, that people would come to Jesus Christ through this. Pray for the families that have been torn apart and devastated by death already. As of yesterday, 160 had died. I don't know what it is after last night in, in uh, Ukraine, how many died, how many more died. Many, many people have died. So we're going to pray. Let's pray. Father, as a local church, this is so sobering for us. It, it just brings us back to the reason why we read in Scripture what was happening to Saul early on in his ministry. Because he too would face a life of persecution and trial and struggle and jesus you said that's what ordered up for him from you and who are we to think in north america that we don't deserve that that we are different that we shouldn't have to face trial lord we do face trials but lord we don't know what trials will lie ahead but we do recognize and see clearly over in ukraine the church that is facing it they're on the front line facing the impending attacks they are facing the great loss of loved ones. The people of Ukraine who don't know the Lord, oh my goodness, how are they making it through? So Lord, we, have, we pray for them. We pray first for the church that the ministry of the Spirit would only become stronger and it would strengthen the believers in that region that they would stand knowing that, Jesus, you're standing with them. 
And they would minister to those around them that, Lord, that when this whole thing ends, comes to an end, we would find out that the church in Ukraine exploded. We pray the same for the people of Russia, many of whom do not want this advancement into Ukraine. We pray for the church that's in Russia. Russia has its own organized church state, but Lord, we pray for the believers that are pushing the message of the gospel that really is not, it's frowned upon, it's looked down upon, it's even persecuted by Putin and his regime. We pray that they too would be strong and that the gospel would advance in this part of the world. But Lord, we also pray right now for the protection of people in Ukraine. It doesn't matter if they're saved or lost. We pray that not another life would be lost, Lord. That would be our desire. But Lord, we also want your will to be done. And what's happening, you are going to use it for your glory. It might be years before we see that. It might not be until Jesus returns that we see it. But Lord, we are going to faithfully follow you because we know one thing about you. Our God is good. He's good. You've never made a mistake. You've never fallen short. Scripture even says that you're not like man, that you should lie. So we put our trust and our hope in you, and we pray that you would strengthen these brothers and sisters to minister the Holy Spirit to their nation. We pray for the leadership of, of Ukraine, Lord, that the courage is contagious as the world watches Zelensky and his people, even the former president of Ukraine, fully armed and out there fighting for his nation. We are moved by their desire to stand. But Lord, we also pray that they would come to know you personally if they don't already. So we give this over to you and may we continue each day, several times a day, to remember and pray for them as things unfold, not knowing what the future holds, but knowing that you do, in fact, hold all the future, Lord. So we're giving you praise and honor for that. And in the name of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who has given us hope and life, in the name of Jesus, we say, Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, church, for being here today. And we do have altar ministers and we have elders who will come forward and stand. If you need ministry this morning in some way, that's what they're here for is to minister to you. By the way, a few weeks ago, we had some, about three weeks ago, we had someone get saved in the back after the service. And then last week, uh, a, a man, an older gentleman came forward and he received Jesus Christ. So we will learn more about that when we have our baptism service, okay? But uh, praise God, God's moving, He's moving, but the move follows what we know to be true. Amen? God bless you.